preach the gospel um, by the Jewish authorities. Uh, they buried Stephen under a pile of stones because they used to go right up high and throw big rocks down uh, to kill people when they stoned them. And um, this, this was a blow for the gospel. Uh, this, this is the church on the ropes. This is the gospel on the ropes. And uh, this is persecution. And what are we going to do? Uh, we're on the ropes. But when you read the Bible, my goodness, what you see is these wonderful counterpunches. Just like Henry Cooper smacking Cassius Clay one. We celebrated that this week, if you're interested in boxing. Wonderful punch. Remember that, Ken? We beat him, really. I mean, that was all of... <laughs> so I'll just, I'll just, just to remind you, that's what happened uh, to Stephen. Um, and it says... I Actually, I was going to go on to chapter 9 because I thought, ah, that's the conversion of Saul. And that's really... Really interesting, and I said to Pat, I, I, I think I better look at chapter eight, and I read it, and I thought, oh my goodness, <laughs> this is incredible. So here it is. I'll just read bits of it to you, just to just to catch you up. Um, it says Saul was in hearty agreement with putting Stephen to death, and on that day, a great persecution began against the church in Jerusalem, and they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, all except the apostles. Devout men buried Stephen, and loud lamentation was made over him. But Saul began ravaging the church, entering house after house, dragging off men and women, and he would put them in prison. And he goes on in Acts 20 when he gives his testimony that, that, that some of them were killed. Therefore, those who had been scattered went about preaching the word. <clears throat> Philip went down to the city of Samaria and began proclaiming Christ to them. And the crowds with one accord were giving attention to what was said by Philip as they heard and saw the signs which he was performing. In the case of many, they had unclean spirits who were coming out of them, shouting with a loud voice. And many who had been paralyzed and lame were healed. I mean, don't forget, this Luke was a doctor, and he was witness, so he knew the difference between physical illness and demonic oppression. And uh, so this is, this is good authority. If demons were coming out, uh, this doctor wouldn't have said this. And those who had been paralyzed, actually I looked it up, it was a, they were they'd had strokes, and they were paralyzed in half their bodies some kind of familiarity with Samaria. They were healed, so there was much rejoicing in the city. They were glad. They were really happy that they'd got saved and healed, like us this morning, eh? Are you really... <laughs> Look at me and say, I'm really happy this morning. <laughs> you planks of wood. <laughs> Uh, now there was a man there called Simon, there's this story about Simon Magus, and uh, he, he was known as the great power of God. Um, but when he sees Philip, it's like 
the, the demonic had met his match this day because the power of God uh, was coming. And uh, the, the story is that Simon, and this is where simony comes from, uh, he wanted to buy the power and the anointing of the Holy Spirit uh, from the apostle, from, from Philip. It's astonishing. He got himself baptized as well. And then Peter comes and says, you know, your money perish with you. Um, so when they had solemnly testified and spoken the word of the Lord, they went back to Jerusalem and were preaching the gospel to many villages of the Samaritans. And then an angel of the Lord spoke to Philip, saying, get up and go to the road that descends from Jerusalem to Gaza. And then the next bit just says, so he got up and went. <laughs> I've read that. Just, I couldn't stop laughing. What a great name for a book. So he got up and went. <laughs> and then there was an Ethiopian eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge. This man was a member of the cabinet. He was, might have been prime minister. No, but he was in charge of the money. And you think Ethiopia was huge in those days. I mean, I think, I think I'm right. I think it occupied nearly all of Africa, apart from Egypt and the kind of northern parts of Africa. It was enormous. Here's this man who's probably prime minister. And uh, this story. And he was reading the prophet Isaiah. And it's, then it says, and then the spirit said to Philip, go up and join the chariot. So Philip ran up and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and said, do you understand what you're reading? Well, how could I unless someone guides me? And he invites Philip to come up and sit with him. And he's reading. I mean, he must have purchased a bit of papyrus in Jerusalem with Isaiah 53 on it. Because he's reading extraordinary coincidental moment when a man is, is reading the scriptures uh, when an angel had told Philip to go and go to this particular place in Gaza. Philip opened his mouth and began from the scripture and he preached Jesus to him. It's great, isn't it? He didn't tell him about all the Old Testament prophecies. He didn't talk to him about dispensationalism. He didn't talk to him about the end of the world. It says he preached Jesus. That's what we do, don't we? We're Jesus preachers. We exalt and uplift the living Christ. And as they went along the road, they came to some water. And he said, look, water, what prevents me from being baptized? Well, said Philip, if you believe with all your heart, you may. He said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And he ordered the chariot to stop, and they both went down into the water, Philip as well, and he baptized him. And when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord snatched Philip away, and the eunuch no longer saw him, but went on his way. But Philip found himself at Azotus. Just, uh, there's nothing stereotypical about the Holy Spirit's guidance. Um, God is just amazingly versatile. I just, I just put marker on. Philip went down to the city of Samaria. It, it, unwelcome but circumstantial guidance, which I, I'll talk about. And then it says, an angel of the Lord spoke to Philip. So it's, it's circumstance, 
the angel of the Lord. And then it says, then the spirit said to Philip, go up and join the chariot. And then it says, the spirit of the Lord snatched Philip away. And the eunuch no longer saw him. Now, I looked at Campbell Morgan. I've looked at different commentaries to try and understand what actually happened there. And none of them can deny the fact that he was actually taken by the Holy Spirit and whisked away geographically. It's called bilocation. It means the Holy Spirit can actually take you from here to Broadstairs like that. But you've got to get your stuff from Pat first. <laughs> it's a Donald Duck watching a Kiss Me Quick hat. Do you know, you may laugh at this, but I knew a man who used to bilocate. His name was Bill Turner. He was a very strange, wonderful, odd, as you can imagine. He used to, don't ask me how, but he used to play this organ all day and just call on God and wait for the Holy Spirit. Um, Bill Turner, he was such a strange man. He, he, he started the charismatic movement in Ireland. He used to tell the police where bombs were and they used to laugh at him until they realised that he was getting this stuff from God. He was that kind of really odd man, really in touch with the Holy Spirit. I know it sounds weird, but I'm still going to say it. I mean, I saw him once and he said to me, Oh, John, he says, there's a gang of demons after you. I said, what? I'm having a bad enough time without you coming and telling me there's a gang of demons. I didn't see him, honestly. I never saw him for months, or it might even have been years, and I was doing a wedding, and he was taking part. He walked in, he said, oh, John, that's better. I mean, just weird, isn't it? So strange. I bet you've never heard anybody talk about bilocation before. Well, they do it in the supernatural realm. They talk about walking on the astral projection on the astral plane. Well, anyway, just so that you would... No, in the scriptures it says that Philip was just taken up and taken to another place near Caesarea. Right, well, the first thing I want to say about this incredible passage of scripture is that they were scattered. My son uh, contacted me and said, Dad, he lives in Colorado. And they've had massive fires there. Uh, fire and wind, and it's, it's been really bad. He showed me, he sent me pictures, there's amazing pictures of some houses preserved with all, all the trees all burnt out all around them. Just astonishing. I said, well, that, that's the safest place to be where the fire's burnt out. It won't come back, will it? That's the safest place to be in the cross of Calvary where the fire of God fell on Jesus and burnt out. That's a very safe place to be. And, and he said, you know, people were just scattered and, and all sorts of things were set up for them. Um, and he said, you know, that one of the local pastors said that the firefighters were like intercessors, that they were dousing the flames. And he said, just like intercessors, Dad, that, that, that hold back the fire. So these firemen were holding it back. But, it, but what, what was interesting was he said they were scattered. And I thought, how quickly that can happen? We're all safe here in Orpington, aren't we, in Green Street Green? Can't imagine being scattered, can you? But it could happen. We just don't know. 
Do you know that in the church, for two years, they had, uh, well, they'd had super church, really. It's just fantastic. But they were actually disobeying God. Because Jesus, in Acts 1.8, said, this gospel has got to go to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the world. And they were stuck in Jerusalem. So do you know what God did? He sent, or allowed, a persecution. Now, I know we don't like this, but sometimes it's always trouble that kicks you off the backside and gets you to God, isn't it? You know, my favorite prayer, not my favorite, but it's a prayer I pray often, is, Lord, thank you for everything that drives me to the throne of grace. And it's often trouble or worry. And by the way, do you know that 98% of the things that you worry about don't happen? So it really is worthwhile worrying. And they were scattered. But listen, there's a fantastic divine intentionality about being scattered because it says they preached the gospel as they went. They gospelized. They didn't say, here's persecution. Persecution was the splash in the pond that sent the ripples out. God used persecution to cause the church to break its boundaries and to preach the gospel. They didn't go and hide in a cave. They didn't say, oh, this is all too much. They preached the gospel as they went. They were undeterred. You know, this gospel, we may feel we're on the ropes, but there's nothing can stop the gospel of God. It is incredible. If you were listening to Premier Radio this morning, which I was, I don't normally listen to it, but I just switched it on, and I was listening to the new London City Mission leader. He's just been to China, and uh, he said this. He said there are now 70 million, okay, it's a big country, 70 million baptized, Holy Spirit-filled, anointed Chinese believers. When you think that in the 70s they tried to wipe it out, and what happened? It's like throwing petrol on a barbecue. The whole thing just explodes. Why don't they get it, these totalitarian states, that the more you try and suppress Christianity, the more you try to kill it, the more it's going to come alive, isn't it? See, persecution is working. God allowed this to happen because he wanted the gospel to start to spread. And these people, these people of God, they didn't give up. They just kept on gossiping the gospel. And there's, you read it, it's, there's intentionality everywhere they went. They talked about the gospel. Now we need our good deeds we need to let people know we're honest and we're okay and we need to let our lives speak for themselves and all of that stuff. And I totally agree with that. But let your good deeds cower in the face of this towering image of the gospel of our Lord Jesus. It's fantastic, wonderful news. And we have got to speak it. You are this morning a witness like me, we're not all evangelists, but we are witnesses. And a witness says what they've seen and what they've heard. We witness. I'm going to ask you at the end to think of someone you can witness to this week. You can share good news with.
They were undeterred in their conviction to preach. I love this because God used an unimpaired servant to declare his good news. Now, this is Philip. There are two Philips in the Bible. There's Philip the Apostle, but there's Philip the Deacon. And he's the second deacon. Stephen was the first deacon. Philip was the second deacon. And what Philip did was he gave bread to Greek widows. He looked after the, uh, the food and the economic concern of Greek and Hebrew widows. He served at tables. He didn't sit around thinking, this is all beneath me. I'm destined for higher things. Surely, God, you have got something great for me to do. No, no, he just kept on doing the mundane, doing the thing, being faithful in the thing that God had called him. Please be faithful in those little things that God has called you to do, whether it's to being a mum, to running a house group, to hosting a small group, whatever it is. Could have thought, well, you know, I'm worth more than this. It's just amazing. This guy is tucked away. Do you know, it says that the apostles stayed in Jerusalem while Philip went to the center of Samaria. Now, Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. You read that in John 4. Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. Who were the Samaritans? They were a hybrid race. They were from northern Palestine. They were a mixture of uh, worship of Yahweh and worship of idols. They believed in the Pentateuch. They were a real old mongrel race and they were hated by the Jews. And yet this deacon, this Mr. Philip, breaks racial barriers. I mean, it happens in Acts 10 and 11, but it's Peter explaining it. But the first man to do it is this unrecognized. Nobody called Philip who's going to go and do something fantastic. He's going to go and break these racial barriers by preaching the gospel in Samaria. I mean, it is astonishing. This unimpaired servant but the leaders, the apostles, they're in Jerusalem. But you see, God in his wisdom, when we think, oh dear, the leadership, we haven't got a leadership. There is somebody sitting there whom God has been preparing and anointing for leadership. Now you watch out for that because this is what happened. I never realized it. I read that. Wow, this bloke. He's hiding in the shadows. He's just in the background. Suddenly steps out from the wings onto center stage. Does something absolutely amazing by breaking racial barriers. And do you know the other amazing thing he did? He introduced a man who took the gospel to Africa. I mean, it's incredible. This is Philip. How... How do you know? How, how look, these guys, the, the, the center of the world was Jerusalem, and the center of Jerusalem was the temple. 
And the Jewish leaders held central truth, and that central truth was the Old Testament. Now, how are you going to convince people when this new sect comes along? They're still Jews, by the way. How are you going to convince people? How are you going to show people that you're the, you're the new thing that God has chosen? How are you going to do that? How are you going to get people to say we don't need, you know, the temple? The temple was where they kept your debts. Did you know that they charged you for the animals to get your sins forgiven? And if you couldn't pay, they had a ledger. So you'd walk past, where would you feel walking past that place? And then you see the people who run it, who live in suburbia, walking past in their fine clothes. You'd get really quite upset with it already, wouldn't you? So how do you know? How do I know that God has shifted, shifted his power from the temple to another group of people? Well, I guess it's this. If those people can expel demonic spirits, if they can heal people who are physically ill, if they can raise the dead, I suppose that might authenticate their message, mightn't it? <laughs> Do you know, I, I said to Pat, I never realised, that eunuch, that Ethiopian eunuch, it says he went to Jerusalem to the temple to worship and he came back having not found God. He didn't find God. Jesus, in Matthew 24, you will remember, said, Behold, your house is left desolate, and you will no longer see the Son of Man until you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And that man went and found it was desolate, found it was empty. People go to to big churches. People go to all kinds of places to find God, and they come back empty. They come back not finding God but he did do one thing. He, he bought a piece of parchment. And that piece of parchment uh, had got Isaiah 53 on it. And I, I find that absolutely astonishing. And these astonishing moments where this eunuch is flanked by outriders. He, he's, a, he's a member of the cabinet. He's possibly the prime minister And he's reading Isaiah 53. And the Spirit of God says to Philip, he takes, listen, a successful missionary, revivalist, deacon, and says, I want you to go to Gaza. I want you to go. Now, if Philip hadn't answered, if Philip hadn't immediately obeyed, he would have missed that man, he would have missed him. But he's so sensitive to the Holy Spirit that he goes and he meets this man. And it says that he ran alongside him. And the bloke didn't say, excuse me, hollering out from his chariot, are you a, are you a specialist in theology and Old Testament? <laughs> he doesn't say that. And say that Philip tried to convince him in any way, just said, Do you know what you're reading, mate? Do you know what you're reading? He said, No, I don't know. Unless somebody explains it to me. And he gets up and, 
explains the gospel. It says he preaches Jesus to this man. He preached Jesus to him. We preach Christ. That's what we do here, don't we? We may talk about sin sometimes, but it's our job to uplift the Lord Jesus and let the Holy Spirit convict of sin. We want to release the Holy Spirit into people's lives. We want the anointing to convince people. And this man is so convinced that he says, I believe with all my heart. And he gets baptized straight away. I mean, some of us, we sit around for years waiting for God to tell us to get baptized. And this bloke gets baptized straight away. And Philip dips him. Philip dunks him. Philip, this is, I I remember the last person we baptized, Ron Diamond's daughter. And her, her words were, I'm sunk, she said. I said, I realise. She said, I'm sunk. And I said, yeah, you are sunk. You're sunk, but we're going to sink you. We're going to sink you into the life of the Lord Jesus Christ. We're going to sink you into his death, his life, and his resurrection. Because what the devil wants to do is to baptise us into despair and emptiness and failure and shame. And what God wants to do is to baptise us into the resurrected life of Jesus. And down he goes and comes up. Oh, he must have been so touched by God because the gospel was released into Africa. Listen, God takes a bloke who's being successful in revival and great meetings and thousands of people and loads of people getting healed because he cares about one person, one bloke. But what a man, of course, but one person. God really does care for the individual. There are so many people on desert roads. You think you're miserable sometimes. You think you're unhappy. You just think of when you talk to some people who live without God in this world. I don't know how they do it. Do you? I look at them. I think, goodness me. How do you keep alive? We got kids of 15 throwing themselves in front of trains last week. We're in a worse condition than we realized. We're like the frog that's being boiled and we don't know it. And I think God wants to wake us up. I think the, the anointing of God wants to awake us up so that we start believing and get our nerve back and start believing this gospel again. Because it's not all right news, it's good news. It's really good news. And if we stop believing that and we lose our nerve, no wonder, no wonder our country will lose its way. I'm not saying it's all dependent on us, but I am saying we've got to wake up. We've got to wake up to the wonder of this glorious gospel. We've got to wake up to the anointing of God. We've got to return to joy. They rejoiced. They were flipping happy in Samaria that they'd gotten healed and they were saved. They were thrilled about it. And we need to return to joy. We need to return to the gospel. We need to return to this wonderful living God who loves us so. I want you to think of somebody who you can gospelize this week. I want you to think of somebody that you could share good news with. Just these moments when we think, nah. And there are moments where the Holy Spirit says, you know, that road from Gaza to Jerusalem 
and Samaria was a key road for the gospel. Philip didn't know that, but God did. And his obedience meant that the gospel could spread quickly and fast. I remember sitting with my old friend, Mac McCarthy, in Tubingham University, talking to some students about Jesus. And their professor came down, he found out, and he swore his head off at me. He was so angry. You and your Jesus, who do you think you are? And I said, oh, this man here, this, this man used to fly Halifaxes in the war. He used to bomb your cities. He's come to say sorry, and he'd like to receive your forgiveness and give you forgiveness. And this bloke stopped, started to cry. He said, I used to be the leader of the SS in Karlsruhe. I've never told anybody that. But I've been longing to confess that. And he wept, and I'm not kidding you, the table was full of his tears. I'm so glad you came, he said. I'm so glad I walked down here at this moment. There are moments that God gives us where we can touch people with this glorious gospel. And there's heaven joining in. Can you not hear the angels? <laughs> now there's somebody. This week, come on, people. There is somebody. And I'm not just saying do this once, but I think if you do it once, you want to do it again. And you know how the gospel really appeals to you when you share it, when you give it away. That's when it really means something to you. So give it away this week. Think of your neighbours, think of the people you work with. Think now with me as I pray. Join with me in this prayer. Lord, please, there's somebody this week that I can share the gospel with. Somebody who needs good news. Somebody who needs to be saved. And Lord, we're sorry we've been like that chap with one talent and we've gone and hid it and dug a hole sometimes we get it out and dust it and give our testimony but Lord we want to be those who gossip the gospel who witness to the power of our risen Lord Jesus Lord you use persecution to get the whole thing going we would rather not Father but Lord Blessed be everything that drives us to the throne of grace. So, Lord, this morning, I pray that you would just drop into people's minds right now, right now, right now. Give them opportunities to witness to somebody this week, all of us, Lord Jesus, so that we find that wherever we go, wherever we are scattered to, we are preaching the gospel as we go. In the name of Jesus. Amen. 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 Just turn to one another and say, I did enjoy that.